This is The First Years, a podcast about the unicorns of American agriculture, first-generation farmers, and the guts, grit, determination, and business prowess required to be one. Welcome to this episode of the First Years Podcast. I'm Annalise Salaka, and I am really excited to introduce you to um, Russell Hedrick today. Russell has a super unique story, um, and I think that you'll really enjoy this conversation. So, Russell, tell us about your farm as it is today. Our farm consists of roughly a, about 900 acres of uh, row crops. Uh, we we grow open pollinated heirloom varieties of corn. We grow seed beans. Um, we also grow barley for the malt houses in North Carolina. We grow triticale, rye, oats um, for our cover crops. And then we also have a cleaning building on our farm that we clean and grade seed and, you know, mix it for other, other farmers. And it's really our key's been for uh, diversification. Um, back in 2013, uh, we were able to partner up with a uh, local distillery that was starting up, and so we supply that distillery with all the grains. Um, we make the first bourbon in North Carolina since Prohibition. Um, we also make moonshine there. Uh, we're looking to diversify our line there as well. And and then um, it was kind of just the way it happened. We started growing uh, grits. Uh, we grow those heirloom varieties of uh, corn. We want to see how they turn into a food grade product. So we started grinding grits and cornmeal and um, and integrated cattle. And so between cattle and, and pasture pork and uh, we had sheep there. So it's, it's really been about diversifying the farm, just not relying on one revenue stream in case the commodity market was to change. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I'm super intrigued by the distilling part because you didn't grow up on a farm, but you did grow up around um, in in a family that valued distilling, correct? Yeah, that's correct. My uh, my my dad's side of the family, the Hedricks, they uh, they were known for making uh, pretty good moonshine, and um, it was kind of funny that my mother's side as well. They they actually lived. We we live in the western part of North Carolina, and we're known for a lot of apple orchards, and they actually had a really good apple brandy recipe. So. You know, both both sides of my family, I was introduced um, to to the stealing in the woods, if that's what you want to call it, um, <laughs> at a at a at an early age in life. So, uh, you know, making making alcohol in a building um, with power and utility and lights is a lot better than than making it in the backwoods in North Carolina. <laughs> so, so I I've read a little, just a little tiny 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 bit about you, but um, I'm curious to know, like how old you were when you decided i think someday i want to be a farmer i would i would say that that was probably at a younger age um not that i wanted to farm full-time at a young age but just being around agriculture um my my grand my grandpa richard on my mom's side you know he made probably 10 20 acres of hay and uh we um we had a few cows so i was around livestock and and you know able to get out on the land and I guess I just took my love from for being around agriculture and land from him and uh, riding on a tractor. So it was, I would say, you know, four years old, I was riding on the set board of an old Ford tractor making laps around the hayfield. And that's kind of how I got my introduction into agriculture. And it was, 
to me, it was fascinating to see that you could plant something in the spring and have something to harvest in the fall. And that just kind of sparked our interest in it. And then you, so you grew up um, still interested in farming, but you decided to go a different path and you became a firefighter. Tell us how, I mean, it seems to me like when you're a kid, that's also a career that you might aspire to from a young age. Yeah. Um, essentially, when I was younger, I wanted to be a police officer at first, but uh, don't don't tell any of the firemen that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, but in you know, you've got to be at least 21 years old to, to become a police officer. I graduated high school at a young age, and um, I knew I wanted to do something in emergency services, so firefighting worked out that I could get into that at a younger age, and started working my fire career, and um, got hired full time, and 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 really that allowed me a lot of the, I guess a little bit of the risk of going into agriculture full-time, you know, working one day and having two days off, it allowed us to, uh, to have time to grow the farm. The the issue where I'm at in North Carolina is development. Um, we've got less than 12,000 acres of farmland in our entire county now uh, due to development. So it's, it's hard to come by those nice big fields. Uh, most of our fields are, you know, cut up and spread out. I think it's about a it's an hour and 30 minute drive in a pickup truck from our two furthest fields. We're stretched out over three counties. And, um, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of road time in a, in a truck and a tractor and, a, you know, the, the way that we farm, you know, we've had to really think about how we move equipment and, and our crop rotation, but, you know, starting out in that fire career, it allowed me to, to grow the farm sustainably and, and continue to add acres each year until it was to the point where, we had enough diversification on the farm from different enterprises that we could uh, we could make the switch to farming full time. So, how old were you when you started farming? Um, we actually our first crop year was 2012. Um, so I would have been 26 years old at the time. Okay. And you started. Uh, we were 20. I... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, we we started farming there in in the spring of, of 12. So our first crop, we would have been 26. And you started with just 30 acres, right? We did. Uh, we found we found 20 acres, uh, 30 acres that we were able to uh, lease and uh, lease that 30 acres. And then over the last several years, we've, we've been fortunate enough to either find some farms to buy and, and maintain in farmland or either lease uh, land as some other farmers have retired. Mm-hmm. So one thing I thought was really interesting when I was um, reading about you is I, I came across several instances where you were called the, the most progressive um, farmer in your state. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, what do you do that makes you so different? And then also, you know, how did being a first generation farmer allow you to be that progressive in a different way that maybe you, you couldn't have if if you were farming with your dad or your granddad or something? That's a really good question. And and that's actually a pretty good joke that me and some friends have that, you know, farmers and firemen are creatures of habit. And, um, you know, every time that that I go out and speak, and I mean, it's not just in the United States. Uh, We've traveled to several other countries now. And the, the biggest issue that we come across is farmers, see how their dad did it, how their granddad, maybe their great granddad did it. And if they make that change and something doesn't work out, 
you know, they're afraid to feel like a failure. Um, they don't want the social pressures of leaving the norm. And I mean, I felt it myself, but to me, it really doesn't bother me. You know, you know, when our neighbors see that we're trying something new, several of them have told us we're crazy. There's no way it's going to work. And, and we've had failures, um, you know, just like cover crops. Um, one year we planted it way too thick and we had way too much residue and it tied up a lot of nutrients and, and we suffered a little bit of yield loss on that particular farm. But I guess me coming in as a first generation farmer, I understand, you know, the farm has to make money for it to be sustainable and, and to be around. And the, the the model system that's out there right now is just not, it's not very good for farmers to, to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really constrained the, uh, the amount of inputs that are required and, and, you know, a lot of farmers, you know, they brag about yield. Our, our farm motto is we farm for profit, not for yield. Um, we've been fortunate enough, yes, to have some really great yields. We won the, the state yield trial, the state yield contest uh, for corn. And we've placed second several times in the bean class. And, um, you know, while doing that, we've had probably half the amount of inputs in our farm that, that other farmers have had. But that's taken, you know, some of those farms have taken five, six years to see the soil change and, and the biology come out. And um, for us, it's really about, we don't want to put a lot of capital and a lot of uh, money into growing a crop just for the simple fact of, you know, in North Carolina, we're 10 days away from a drought pretty much all year long. Um, we get a majority of our rain in the winter time when there's nothing, when nothing growing. You know, we do get a high annual rainfall, but it's mostly in the winter. So, you know, we, we try to, reduce our inputs in farming and you know if I make 150 bushels and my neighbor makes 175 or 200 we're still more profitable um and we're hauling less grain and I'll be honest with you I love farming but I also love my time off so yeah. if I can make more money and work less then you know that's that's perfectly okay with us yeah no I I think that's um smart so you you touched on it briefly but you um, use a lot of cover crops, and then you also do almost 100% no-till, right? Yeah, we, we are 100% no-till. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, we have the same problems that other farmers have. Like this year, we've had two hurricanes and a lot of rainstorms. You know, in the last month, we've probably seen 24 to 30 inches of rain. And when you first get out in the field, some of those first fields, we make ruts. Uh, we have the same problems that other farmers have. But, you know, instead of going out there and doing full full depth tillage all the way across the field you know we may have to get a small disc out and fix some ruts or uh, we'll get a, a box blade out and just try to fill them in the best that we can we we really try to minimize the mechanical impact that we do to ground and as we've reduced that tillage we've seen the soil structure get better we've seen aggregation and water infiltration rates increase um, just to give you an idea you know our, our natural forest here is about a half inch an hour on our fields where we've been doing these reduced tillage practices and, and utilizing cover crops to, to fill that gap where there was nothing growing in the field. We've seen infiltration rates up to five to seven inches an hour. Um, and they may be higher than that now. We haven't checked them this year, but you know, every year consistently we're seeing a better soil structure, which is key for us growing these healthy plants. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, we've seen the trend of, of more farmers using no-till, and I think that's only going to continue um, for a multi- multitude of reasons. Obviously, soil health is super important, but also you m- mentioned it briefly, but the, the profitability of it as well um, is pretty beneficial. 
Yeah, we, we partnered with the uh, the NRCS has what they call a technology center. They've got several across the country. We're just lucky enough to have one here in North Carolina about an hour and a half away from my farm. And we really pushed the pencil. Um, I mean, they even took into account our time in, in educating ourselves, reading um, publications and understanding carbon nitrogen ratios, how to make mixes, you know, any kind of, you know, input or time that we put into, I guess, to understanding and getting a better knowledge of this system, they really penciled it out. And even at the end of the day, taking all that in consideration, our profitability has increased anywhere from about 150 to $200 an acre um, based on chemical reductions, fertilizer reductions. Um, we started using a new soil, soil sample uh, five years ago called the Haney test. Uh, Rick Haney out of the ARS in Texas um, came up with this test and um, with him and another another scientist. And, and it really focuses on a healthy soil and on input reduction because we're taking all of the, the nutrients that are available to us in the soil profile and not just, you know, farmers go out and soil sample four or six inches deep. And I've never understood that. On our farm, we're pulling soil samples two feet. And, you know, my corn roots are going down, you know, three feet, four feet, just depends on the water table. I understand there's, there are some, you know, coastal areas or the Gulf states where they may have a high water table, but where we're seeing corn go down, you know, three, four feet in roots, why aren't we looking at those nutrients that are deeper in the profile and utilizing those versus having to apply costly fertilizers? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I never thought about it like that. But I think you are definitely right um, in in the thought process there. I'm curious too. Um, how did you learn about farming? Uh, I'm a YouTube junkie. Um, <laughs> it's it's you know we, we always joke around about you know you can watch a video in five minutes and be YouTube certified um, to fix <laughs> anything now. And um, it it really. It really came, I guess, from my, my, my grandfather that, you know, as a young age, he always told me never be scared to ask a question. You know, there's no wrong, there's no wrong questions. And we went to area farmers. Um, I, I utilized the resources at NRCS. I had one of the, the best district conservationists, I would say, in the state and one of the top ones in the country, uh, a guy named Lee Holcomb. And uh, he was really beneficial to us and, and helping us and, and utilizing our, our state extension service um they've been able to help us quite a bit and you know utilizing all those resources asking questions and i i think that's the thing about it again like you ask about you know being a first generation farmer i had to learn all this stuff and i wasn't afraid to ask questions and you know sometimes they were probably questions that a normal farmer should have known but you know asking a question gave me different resources and different information available for me to make a, a good management decision so you're telling me there is hope for all these fruit tree growing videos my husband's been watching on YouTube. I will tell you right now, if you ever want to kill a fruit tree, I can come trim it for you. Um, <laughs> I'm a terrible, terrible arborist. Uh, oh, he's got new fascination right now with fruit trees. He's planting like, I don't know, I think 15 fruit trees behind our house. We live in the desert. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, I, I just, the, the thing of it is, is in our day and age, you know, it's 2018, you know, there's so much more information out there for our generation of farmers than there were for the previous ones. And 
I'll give you a prime example. You know, I went and spoke at an event. I talked about how tillage was bad and the negative impacts to the soil and, and you know, how we can reduce um, resistance by, you know, farming in different ways and, and preserving the, the chemicals that we do have today, you know, having those in the future versus having natural resistance from nature. And, you know, one farmer got up and said, you know, it may work on your farm, but it doesn't work on mine. Mm. And that is that is correct. So the, the exact program that I'm using on my farm is not going to work on a farm in Arizona, Reno, Nevada. You know, there's different climates, different soil series, but the, the principles still apply. And that's what people have to understand is, you know, reducing physical disturbance, keeping something living there 24-7, 365. Um, you know, looking at different management strategies, those principles do apply. And you know, somebody has to figure out the uh, the combination, you know, what's going to work on their farm in their state versus what's working on ours. Now, if they're similar in climate and soil series and, and you know, southeast, then they can pretty much, you know, mimic what we're doing and maybe just tweak it just a little bit. But, um, you know, it's just it's just about finding out what works on your farm and, uh, and, and at the end of the day what you can manage because a lot of producers look at cover crops and they don't put any management into it. They just think they can go throw a seed out there and get the maximum benefit out of it. And we manage our cover crops just like we do our row crops. Um, we, we plant them out a year ahead. We know what our rotation is going to be, what our species are, and we may tweak it just a little bit. But for the most part, we've, we've got a pretty well laid plan out for probably three years ahead. <clears throat> so over the past six years of farming, you have grown your farm from 30 acres to, uh, you said, you know, just over 900 acres. What has been your biggest challenge? Time. Our, our biggest constraint is time um, and land availability. Um, being stretched out with our, our lands being so far apart, um, you know, we face the same weather that every other farmer does. And and I've quickly learned that, you know, farming does have the benefit of having time off, but at the same at the same, you know, flip of a coin you can be sitting in a tractor for three or four days. Um and and, and finding qualified labor. Um, you know, we've put some really good technology in our farm. We do precision planting. Uh we can do variable rate um planting on our seed with our, our updates we've made with electronic drives and uh really just finding someone who wants to sit in a tractor or a combine or a truck or something and and really hustle has has made it difficult for our farm that's probably been the biggest challenge yeah that is a recurring theme i hear um all over the country right now and across segments is just uh the lack of access to skilled labor and and also, you know, one thing I think we don't we don't talk about much is just a willingness to learn. You know, it's hard to find people that are willing to learn something new and do something new. Um, yeah, that's that. I think your your struggle is the same as just about everybody else's. I think on that one. Um, so yeah. I'm also curious about you know you started your farm, um, probably just like every other first generation farmer uh, myself included there's lots of opinions from other people about what you're doing what you should be doing what you're not doing well um what has been the worst advice that you've received 
the worst advice that we received. Um, we didn't follow it, thank goodness. Um, the way that our journey started is when we leased that first 30 acres, once again, with the amount of rainfall we receive in the wintertime, even in a no-till system, there's a lot of, of soil erosion with the bare ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we had a lot of uh, winter weed issues, um, you know, just the amount of weeds that we were uh, accumulating over the wintertime you know, purple dead nettle, hembit, chickweed, stuff like that. And, you know, when we first went and talked about going into farming, we talked to local farmers and, you know, the first advice that I got was go buy a 150 horsepower tractor and a 20 foot disc. No-till doesn't work. You know, after several years, you get nutrient stratification and you've got to mix the soil up and level out the ruts. And, um, you know, luckily going into farming first generation, we didn't have the money to buy that. Um, and like I said, I went to the NRCS office to, to find out what we could do for some of the erosion issues and the weeds. And, um, they just came out with a new video at the time called undercover farmers. And it really profiled farmers here in my state that were utilizing no-till and cover crops and the benefits they were seeing. And, uh, we watched that video. Um, it gave me the confidence that, Hey, you know, if these guys have it figured out, I can do it too. And uh, we really just started out right with, with no-till and covers right off the bat. Um, and I, I'm thankful every day that we didn't waste the money on a on a disc and a 150 horsepower tractor because it would have just, it would have set in the weeds now. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so there's one question that I ask every guest on the podcast, um, and that is, to what do you credit your success? Do you think that it's, um, you know, your skill or your business acumen, or do you think that it's lucky timing maybe? What do you think? So uh, the the joke of it is, is, for us, our success has really just been luck. Um, you know, first of all, I'm lucky to have my family. Um, to have a, a, a family farm and a first generation, and you know, my, my mom and dad both work in furniture. My, my grandmother's 83 years old. Um, we actually call her lightning. She works as fast as lightning. She'll, <laughs> she'll flat. Up. You, she has literally shamed and ran 20 year old boys out of the hayfield um, in her 70s. And, you know, I've not done any of this on my own. You know, my dad works a furniture job. He'll get off in the afternoon and help move trucks around and, and empty grain. My grandmother's giving me rides during the day to, to move equipment around. And um, my mom makes sure that I don't starve. I would probably be a little thinner without her. Um, but you know, she'll, she'll bring you something to eat at the field or, you know, at least make sure that I'm not hungry. And, you know, the family part of it, that's been huge to our success. And then, um, just the people we've met, you know, um, I got introduced to Ray Archuleta in 2012 and Ray spent a lot of time. And then you take somebody like Gabe Brown. Um, I got his phone number from Ray. I called him up out of the blue and, and he did not know me from, from anybody. You know, we had never even talked. He had never even heard who I was. And I called him up and he spent hours on the phone with me. And the one thing I'll say is about people who are in regenerative agriculture and actually care, actually care about the land and care about farmers being profitable. They're always willing to give their time and their advice and things that they've seen work and have it. And that's, that saved us a lot of headaches and uh, a lot of mistakes. Um, so, I mean, really just, just finding really good mentors and, and family and everybody else it's it's really just all came together and been really beneficial for us and and that's what's made us successful well i 
loved learning about your phone. Um, I'm super excited to share this podcast with everybody. Um, so you guys, this has been this week's episode of the first years until next week. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.